Welcome to the One Football Premier League podcast. Haaland close to a Premier League switch. Man United in South Coast collapse. Klopp loses his cool, plus much more. As today joining me, Matt Froelich, is Dan Burke. Hello, hello. Uh, Dan, it's a good job you're on because we can discuss everything about Erling Haaland. I was going to save it to the end, but I know you're bursting with excitement. So um, (laughs) (laughs) you can tell us just how... Just how amazing this signing will be. Of course, this is Monday afternoon and all the news is broken that he is set to sign um, a deal this week or Manchester City are set to announce their intention of activating his release clause. Um, What do you make of it then? Do do you expect him to hit the ground running? I'm very happy about it. Very excited about it. If there's one player in world football that I would want City to sign above all else, it's him. So, you know, I've got to be be thrilled about that. And for a team that has done pretty well without a uh, a number nine uh, over the last couple of years to, to then sign the best number nine around would in theory make City pretty unstoppable in the years to come but in terms of him hitting the ground running I am a little bit um, unsure about that I think it might be it might take a bit of an adaptation period for him to to kind of learn the ropes of what it's what, what's required to play for Guardiola you know the Premier League is a, a bit slightly different to the Bundesliga that's going to take a bit of an adjustment as well and I just think it's going to be it's not it's not going to be easy for him straight off the bat, I don't think. I think maybe City might have to adapt to him as well. You know, City have, have been playing for, for two years now without a number nine and, and it's worked very well, but it's going to be slightly a bit of an adjustment for the club to to, to then change the style of play to, to suit Haaland. So I could imagine his first season not maybe being him firing in all cylinders and then maybe in the years to come, he, he then, you know, really takes off and, and starts being brilliant or maybe he will hit the ground running and maybe he'll, he'll take to City like a duck to water. Hopefully it's the latter, but uh, we'll see. I think, as always with these big signings, everyone's readied their pitchforks. Absolutely <laughs> ready. You know, it, it'll be like two games without a goal in his first two matches. Everyone will be like, oh, what a waste of money. But yeah. there are some players who just, they're so elite and they look so good on a football pitch, regardless of whether they played in a certain league or not, that you just think it can't possibly go wrong. Barring yeah. injury, barring injury, which he's had a few, not not enough to say that he's a, a an injury prone player, um, but cer- but certainly you know more than just one or two. I think it would be an unbelievable signing. But you're right; it would take a little bit of time to get to sort of hit the ground running. And I think we've seen that with Jack Grealish as well this season. And he was someone who played mm. in the Premier League. Yeah, exactly. Right, yeah, and I was, yeah. was coming. It must be difficult to adapt to Guardiola. I'm pretty certain that not every player would would hit the ground running. Um, well, a great example is Aguero as well. You know, Aguero was was yeah. crushing it for City before Guardiola got there, and then th- when Guardiola turned up, it was like, oh, we don't know if Aguero actually has a future at the club anymore because playing for Guardiola is quite different to playing for other managers. The, the demands are required. You know, the pressing is is very is very different, and it took a bit of to and fro in between Guardiola and Aguero before they both kind of started to understand each other a bit better. And then, and then Aguero was fine after that, but it, it took a little bit of time and, and I could see it being the, being the case with Haaland. It wouldn't surprise me if they were, he spends a bit of time on the bench in the early part of the season, even and mm. people are wondering what the hell's going on. And then at some point it will all fall into place, I think, and, and everything will be wonderful, but it's going to be, uh, it's not going to be so, uh, so smooth, I don't think. Uh, do you think we're looking at an Aguero style Man City legend or is it, is it a stepping well? A stepping stone seems a bit harsh, but you know, a sort of uh, one stop on a career of many stops. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine him spending the rest of his career at City for some reason. I might be wrong about that. We'll we'll see what happens. I think he does have ambitions of playing in Spain at some point, and you know, I think he probably. You know, there's some talk that even though he's joining joining City, he would have preferred to join Real Madrid this summer, which 
it's not it's not unbelievable, is it really? Like you could you could yeah. imagine that being the case. And for whatever reason, Real Madrid just haven't been able to get the deal done. Maybe they're more focused on Mbappe and it's opened the door for City to, to come in and get him. I think I think City have had a relatively clear run at Haaland's signature this, this summer, which has helped. And, you know, obviously the, there are attractive reasons to play for City, but they're probably more attractive reasons to play for Real Madrid, if I'm being honest with myself. <laughs> I think the the the, the Riola factor is is makes things a little bit interesting. You know, sadly, he's no longer with us. And I think that a lot of the talk about him being Haaland's agent was that, you know, Raiola will want to move his players on every few years so he can he can get the agent's fees, the players can get signing on fees and all that kind of thing. And depending on who takes over as, as Haaland's agent, that, that might be different. They might have a different perspective on things. So we'll see. But, you know, if he signs a, a three or four year contract and he's there for City for three or four years and then moves on to somewhere else, I'll, I'll take it. I'm sure you wouldn't find a football fan that wouldn't take that. To be exactly, honest. yeah. Even, even for just one season of Haaland. Um, we'll dive in, though, to the to the Premier League, well, the Premier League podcast as we are. I look back mm. on all of the weekend's action, a full roster today with all 10 matches. Uh, but we'll start at Anfield, before we move on to Manchester City, uh, where Liverpool were frustrated by Spurs, none more frustrated than Jurgen Klopp. Uh, <laughs> what do you make of his comments about Spurs' tactics and Conte's game plan? Well, I will say first of all that he uh, he's, he's rode back on it in his press conference today a little bit, hasn't he? And said that he yeah, was yeah, kind he of has, he has. heat at the moment, and he, you know, if he'd had the chance again, he wouldn't have said that. And he, he's a, he's a bit sorry about it, I guess. And I think even at the time, the the comments that he made, he, he wasn't sort of scathing of Spurs. Really, he was just kind of like, you know, every team wants to play their own style of football. This is not the style of football that I want to play. I don't really like it, and I guess that's fine, isn't it? Really, you know. He's entitled to his opinion, and mm. I think it was a little bit salty, but it wasn't like over the top, really. I, I mean, the truth is, there, there is more than one way to play football. There's no perfect way of playing football, is there? Klopp should probably also be grateful that the way Spurs do play has enabled them to take six points off City this season, and you know, Very give true. his team a, a chance, of, a chance of winning the title. So, you know, I think he, he probably should be a little bit grateful about that. And I think it is unfair on Spurs as well because I think Spurs are great to watch when it all when it all works. You know, when the when the counter attacking swashbuckling style, it's wonderful. You know, the goal they scored the other night was great. They could have had a couple more. It's great to see heroic defending sometimes in the way that you know Romero and Dyer and 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 Davis were throwing themselves in front of shots. You know. Uh, as a City fan, who was who was hoping uh, Liverpool would drop points, I was particularly pleased with that. So, yeah, I do think it's it's unfair to sort of make out that Spurs are like Stoke City or something, you know, this awful anti-football kind of thing. Because I think there's there's a bit of there's a bit of both going on there. And uh, yeah, I think Spurs did really well to get a point here. Yeah, this is what I kind of saw elsewhere that it was like, oh, why are you playing like Burnley? <laughs> yeah. And I was thinking, hold on, you would firstly you would have catch Burnley scoring as many as Spurs. I think Spurs have scored the most in the Premier League second half mm. of the season, or the second most to Liverpool. Um, that might stat might have changed with the City scoring five, um, but certainly they're up there. I think the counter attack of football was really good. The goal was excellent football. I was thinking this is not Burnley football <laughs> yeah. in any stretch of the imagination. Defensive, yes. Uh, I've no idea which team in their right mind, apart from City, thinks they're going to go to Anfield and out-attack Liverpool. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, you go toe-to-toe with Liverpool, you get beat, don't you, basically? Unless yeah. you're unless you're City or, or a team like that, then, you know. Yeah. And Liverpool fans, you know, are very keen to point out that the difference in, in budgets between Liverpool and City and how it makes it very hard to compete. Look at the difference in the starting lineups uh, and how much they cost between Liverpool and Spurs the other night. Liverpool's was worth about twice as much. So mm. Spurs are the underdogs in games like that, you know, like it or not. And, and and Conte is a very good manager for those situations, isn't he? So, yeah, 
Fair play. He is. And oh well, I was going to talk about Luis Diaz. We'll talk about him in a second. But you've you've led me on to the question about Antonio Conte very nicely. Um, if Spurs have the ability or the players, I think the quality to put away the lesser sides on a more regular basis, can they take on the top teams in the league? Maybe looking further beyond the top four, at a a very outside title push if they can go unbeaten in all four matches against Liverpool and City. You think is so, Conte wouldn't you? I think that good. I think he, I think he is. I just think he hasn't quite found the balance yet with Spurs, and which, which is to be understandable. You know, he took over halfway through the season. He's not really got the players that perhaps he would want yet, and, and maybe that will be addressed in the summer. And we talked about it a little bit after the after the after Spurs beat City earlier in the season, and we said, look, it's all well and good being able to counter attack against a team like City and, and bed in and 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 play like that, but you then have to adapt to different challenges. And what three days after they beat City, they went and lost away at Burnley, didn't they? So. I think Conte is just struggling to find that balance at the moment, and that that's something that will that will take a bit of time. And I would expect Spurs to be in you know challenging for top four again next season. I don't see them challenging for the title anytime soon, but you know mm. you never know that the right signings in the summer, if if they can if they can get some players in that Conte wants, and he gets a bit more time to work with the players that they've already got, then I think they're in a really good position. I think it, I think that they are getting better and better as the season wears on, aren't they? And talking about signings, Luis Diaz was seen to be the only forward who was really on it against Spurs. I think Salah and Mane were quite quiet. Um, do you think even Liverpool, Liverpool fans, Liverpool coaches, even Klopp may have been surprised at how much of an impact he's had? I think so, yeah. We were talking about this a little bit on the uh, the Champions League podcast with Joel the other day and he was saying it's it's amazing how quickly he's adapted, you know, considering he barely speaks English and, and he, he's come in midway through the season into a very successful team that had, you know, a very successful forward line already and he, and he looks... You know, streets ahead of of the players around him at the moment. Really, you know, mm. Salah has dipped a little bit. Um, Mane is in is in really good form, but um, I think Diaz is, is is probably Liverpool's most informed player at the moment, which is is really impressive. And he's only going to get better as time wears on. And and you think like Spurs wanted him, did they? Spurs were were hoping to yeah. wait until the summer to sign him, and, and Liverpool nipped in and got the deal done. And you kind of think bloody hell, Spurs, that was your chance. I love I love the uh, Jurgen Klopp's press conference last week that Luis Diaz gets on really well with Harvey Elliott and Curtis Jones. He says he doesn't know how they <laughs> communicate because he doesn't speak English. The thought of them just sort of I don't know maybe they just send emojis to each other or they just grunt yeah. or you know absolutely anything. I I could not imagine I, I could not imagine trying to understand English if you're Luis Diaz, but you know, with know Curtis yeah. Jones thick Scouse accent as well. Yeah, I would, exactly. Yeah. I, I would struggle. I would say he'd struggle. <laughs> anyway, because of that draw, Manchester City are now three points clear um, after a 5-0 victory over Newcastle. Uh, was this a case of sticking to the regular game plan for Man City? Because it seems to work throughout 90-plus percent of the season. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, it, it was a really, really good response from City, the perfect response to the to the heartbreak in Madrid last week. You know, we wondered whether they would be able to pick themselves up and, and win this game against a Newcastle team who are, who are decent, who've who've shown really good form under Eddie Howe recently and and really looked like they're building towards something. And in the end, City were, you know, miles better than them and, and outclassed them and, and won the game and scored some great goals and got a great three points that they really needed. Um, having said that, at nil nil, Chris Wood has a really good chance to to, to put Newcastle one nil up. Does. He does. That's poor. I yeah, I yeah. don't know what he was doing there. Really, you think you know a chance like that would be would be tailor made for a player with his aerial ability, and it was just a really tame header that Edison didn't have to even move to save in the end. And you know, if that goal goes in, it could make things very very different. So, as good as the performance was and the outcome was, um, I think there is still a chance that uh, you know City could could slip up again this season. I, I was watching it on. Um... 
in in German over here in in Sky Germany, and they said mm. Chris Wood is the best header of the ball in the league, which I think is quite an honour to bestow upon someone. I think he's very yeah. good, but I'm not sure the best in the league. How would you determine that? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, that... I have no idea. Well, obviously, he wasn't there when he missed it. <laughs> I know. Yeah, uh, exactly. Do you, see, do you see City slipping up? Then I mean, the obvious game to think that you could drop points uh, would be the West Ham match. Yeah, possibly. I mean, they're away at Wolves on on Wednesday night as well, which is a tricky game. Wolves, uh, uh, they they won at the weekend, didn't they? And uh, drew I against saw, Chelsea. They drew. Sorry, they drew. They drew. Of course, they did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I saw Connor Cody came out after that game and said, you know, it, people were saying that we were on the beach and it hurt us, and it's really sort of given us a bit of a kick up the backside to, to finish the season <laughs> strongly now. So they'll they'll see You're that panicking. as a good challenge against City. I mean, why why shouldn't I be? Really, it's you know any any game in the Premier League can go wrong for you can't it really anyone can beat anyone on the day it's it's a cliche yeah. but it, but it's also kind of true and the worrying thing for City is that Ruben Diaz went off injured at half time of this game and Guardiola said afterwards that Diaz Stones and Walker won't play against the, this season and I'm not I'm not sure at the moment whether he was playing a bit of mind games with that because he said they are out until the end of the season he didn't say that out for the season specifically so I do wonder if maybe that was a, a little bit of cheeky from him and they, they will come in at some point but he also said Nathan Ake probably won't be fit for the Wolves game, so it's likely that we'll see Fernandinho against uh, alongside uh, Laporte at centre back, which is not the ideal centre back partnership. Thirty-seven year old Fernandinho. Oh, wow. um, I mean, he he didn't really have much to do against Newcastle, so I can't judge him. No, on that game. he did okay. There was a one point. Difficult. I think there was one point where where Murphy got in behind him, um, which was a little bit of a worry. And he played a bit of centre back in the um, the twenty nineteen twenty season, and it's not really suited to him, especially not as he as he sort of slows down in the uh, the twilight of his career. So it's a bit of a concern, but um, you know, realistically, City have got three games. They probably just need six points now from those three games to win the league, and mm. I would back them to do it. But it's it's not done yet. Um, next up, though, and to Brighton against Manchester United. Uh, shocking was the word. Well, <laughs> one of the many words that I was using <laughs> yeah. to describe this performance from United. Uh, I was thinking why. What would be the reason why we expect better from Manchester United? Is it because of the name, their history, the price tag, the wages? Um, is that actually why we think United should be up there, should be challenging for the title? I know they finished last season uh, second with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Or... Is the reality that as a team, they just are the sixth or seventh best in the league? <laughs> well, I mean, I think that um, them finishing second last year was a damning indictment of the league last season, to be quite honest with you. I think it, I think it really showed how poor everyone else was more than anything. I mean, United were okay last season, but they weren't a good side last season, really, were they? They, they got some pretty big results and, and, and did okay. They had that amazing away record, but um, they, they weren't a good side, really. And... Going into this season, people were looking at them as potential title challengers, especially when they signed Cristiano Ronaldo. You know, you think of, you think of all the talk about his romantic return and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And now it's official that they is is their worst ever Premier League season in terms of points total. Um, and it's been it's been a mess of a season. Obviously, they got rid of rid of Solskjaer for partway through. They brought in Ralph Rangnick, which which seemed like a, a sensible idea at the time, but but really really hasn't worked out. They've got. Uh, former players hammering them in the media every every week, pretty much after every defeat, and and they've had some bad defeats this season. They've had some really bad performances, and and this one at Brighton was probably the worst of the lot. It was probably, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say it was the worst performance of the post Ferguson era. I think they were that bad. They were they were absolutely abysmal, like embarrassingly bad. And and I've seen them be embarrassingly bad at times this season, but this was another level of embarrassment. Um, so, you know, there's players there who who don't know 
what the future looks like for them. I think there's going to be a few players leaving over the summer and mm. it, they're just they're just a shambles, aren't they, really? And I think to say they are the sixth or seventh best team in the league is correct, but this was the performance of one of the 18th or 19th best team in the league. It was it was proper like down tools like we've given up on the season that, you know, that, that shot of, of Ronaldo just kind of laughing in disbelief when Brighton made it 3-0. And it could have been five or six nil. They were quite lucky to escape with only four nil in the end. So I think it's uh, it's a really dismal situation for them, and it just shows the the scale of the task that, that Eric Ten Hag has on his on his hands when he comes in now. As for Brighton, though, we are back on the Potter hype. Uh, it's a shame <laughs> Alex can't join us today. The number one fan <laughs> of Graham Potter. Uh, I wanted to get an idea of where you think Kukurea would stand in the signing of the season debate. You, if you think I'm bringing it up just because he scored, you're part right because he <laughs> did hit a lovely goal. But it is a sort of thing that brings attention to a player uh, and almost a, a deeper digging of the stats. Like 15 million he cost them last summer. Great form. Mm. Uh, has really helped Brighton you know, into the top half towards the back end of the season. Be tough to find a better deal this year. It would, yeah. And it you kind of wonder who the sign of the season actually is, don't you? Because um, you would maybe say Luis Diaz. I can't really think of anyone else who springs to mind. But then, you know, if, if Liverpool don't win the Premier League, would, don't win the Champions League, don't yeah. win the FA Cup, would you say that he's had that much of a transformative impact on things? I don't know, really. Well, well that's the thing. Because if you... I, I always feel like if you hold Luis Diaz to those standards of he has to help Liverpool, you know, win titles, maybe two or three mm. more titles they can win. You can't hold Kukurea to that because Brighton aren't up for titles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think you have to look at how they're affecting the team that they've come into. Uh, and there was a big debate just before the weekend, you know, though Kulazewski or Diaz, who's had more of a um, more of an impact. And everyone was saying, well, Diaz yeah. has already won a trophy. So yeah, but Spurs were already out by the time that the Kulusevski had signed. And Liverpool <laughs> I mean, were already ide- in the final by the time that Diaz had signed. Yeah, ideally the signing of the season would be someone that was signed last summer and had a transformative yeah. effect on the team, like Ruben Diaz was last season. You know, um, well, I was going to say Van Dijk, but that's a bad example because he was signed in January, wasn't he? Mm. But like that that yeah. kind of level, I don't, I don't think Kukurea has had that transformative effect on Brighton, but I think he is a very good player. Mm. I remember watching him when he played on loan at Catafe. Um, yeah, it was last from season. Barcelona last season. I, I think he went there permanently at the end, didn't he? But yeah, I thought he was really yeah. good then. And when when Brighton signed him, I thought he was really good. And and this was a fucking great finish, wasn't it? Like just to smash it into the top corner like that for his lovely, his first yeah. Premier League goal. He was basically crying after he scored, which is always it's always wonderful to see a player showing so much mm. passion. Um, and and it not just being a job to them, and it being such a such a beautiful part of their life like that. So so yeah, I, I think he's a really good player. I think. Um, some bigger clubs might be having a look at him, which is uh, perhaps a bit unfortunate for Brighton. But uh, whether he's signing of the season, I don't know. But yeah, he's definitely been a great signing for them. What I will say about Brighton, though, is, you know, every week I bring up Danny Welbeck. And Danny <laughs> Welbeck having a chance late on. And even when they win, he still went close. This is, by the way, uh, for those of you new to listening, to, this is every week I check the BBC just to see what they've said about Brighton. <laughs> and... Uh, Despite the the fact they won four 0 and I think it was his chip that led to the fourth goal, um, as as sort of the deflection came off Trossard, and they wrote, "Indeed, the Seagulls were not flattered by the margin of victory and could have scored more with Welbeck going close in the first half and unlucky not to add a fifth <laughs> late on." <laughs> well, it was his little dink over De Gea that uh, yeah, led to the exactly. fourth goal, wasn't it? Yeah, that was it. I just thought this just typifies it. Welbeck's always got to go close without actually scoring. I think he might have scored last week. To be fair, um, next up though, <laughs> add to uh, 
a, a dismal Norwich performance in the home loss to West Ham. And the, the reason I talk about it is because Manchester United were talking about their worst ever season and they get you know fighting for the Europa League. They could realistically end up in the Conference League, somewhere that I know a few players like Cristiano Ronaldo will definitely not want to be. Uh, West Ham are now three points behind United with a game in hand. Uh, a European semi-final of the season and sixth place doesn't actually sound too bad. Um, it's not quite the top four challenge we've seen in the last few seasons, but would they have taken uh, where they are now at the start of the season, Dan? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's been a really, really good season for them. I think they'll be they'll be desperate to get back into Europe next year, and they'll they'll probably take the Conference League if it if it's not the Europa League. But they're in a great position to to go and get that Europa League spot now. And uh, I'm a bit worried as a City fan because I was looking at that that penultimate game of the season against them as one where maybe they might be on the beach or maybe they might be sort of resting players for the Europa League final. And, and now they've really got something to play for, which is uh, which is a little bit of a problem for for City, but but great for them and. Um, you know, Moyes was saying after the game that it's uh, it's all very, it's still quite new to West Ham this this European stuff, and they're just kind of enjoying the journey. And they're going to be back in Europe again next season, which is great for the fans. You know, getting to, to go to all these uh, lo- these locations and travel abroad and watch the team. And and uh, they had a, a great um, assault on the Europa League this year. Unfortunately, they, they fell in the, the semi final and, and were quite poor in the end. But uh, it will uh, it will give them good experience for for next year. And as for Norwich, it felt like they felt the brunt of West Ham's disappointment on losing out in the <laughs> European final. Uh, they just they don't help themselves, do they? I mean, the defending for that Michel Antonio no. goal with the Hanley Cruel mix up was comical. I think yeah, terrible. Yeah, yeah. Antonio was kind of just like laughing about that on match of the day as well, which was which was quite <laughs> funny. I, I really like Michel Antonio, but uh, yeah, I, He's I a think. Funny guy. Um, I, saw, I follow a few Norwich fans on Twitter, and I saw them saying when the team sheets came out, they had uh, they had Billy Gilmore and um, and Sorensen in midfield, Jakob Sorensen, and they were saying like that's probably the most lightweight midfield in the whole Premier League, and I think that was the problem for them. Really, they just uh, they've just really adapted poorly to, to Premier League football, and you know they've been relegated for a while now, and I guess the best they can hope for is that the the players show a little bit of fight and and try and end the season strongly. And again, they almost look like they've kind of like down tools a little bit, really. I think it was it was really upsetting yeah. this game for the for the Norwich fans. The manner of the defeat you can you can handle defeat, but when the players look like they're not interested anymore, and there was a bit of controversy. I think Brandon Williams posted something uh, on Instagram after oh, the game, which this. sort of yeah. uh, has, has upset a few Norwich fans. And the club are, club are supposed to be looking into it. I think he was putting the middle fi- middle finger up or something like that so I, I don't know what the what what that was really about but um I think the context uh, of it was that I think a few fans followed him home right okay was was what, what it was about um and I just it sounds like it's coming to a bit of a bitter end um yeah his loan deal at Norwich yeah yeah well they, they were there was I think there was a sign in the in the crowd last week where they were sort of begging him to stay next season and uh you suspect that probably won't be happening now because I think he's been one of their one of their better players this year. But yeah, yeah. maybe not. Uh, next up to the Emirates, where Eddie and Ketia got the Arsenal goals. Um, I feel like we didn't really talk about it earlier with the Haaland situation. We're in the same situation with Gabriel Jesus as with Eddie and Ketia at Arsenal. They can do whatever they like between now at the end of the season, score 10 and 11 goals in the last three games, fill your boots. But the <laughs> club are still in the market for a top striker in the summer, right? Arteta's yeah, well, not going to say we've got Eddie, we're fine. Yeah, the irony is that that striker might be Gabriel Jesus as well, which is uh, <laughs> quite interesting, isn't it? Yeah, All but, the footballing, the footballing gods. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the, yeah. There's been some talk as well that they might go for for Raheem Sterling today. That they're exploring the, the possibility of that, which would be 
an interesting one because I've got a feeling he might be leaving City this summer if they can find a buyer for him. And uh, I know he had a really good relationship with Arteta when Arteta was Guardiola's assistant at City. So I think that'll be a nice fit for them if if they can make the numbers work. But yeah, and Ketio, you, you can't fault his, his attitude and his, his endeavour and his application in recent weeks. He's been superb. He's, you know, he... Uh, he chased uh, chased Melier down for that goal yesterday, and then and then took the second goal very well. He he looks like he's got a, a real eye for goal, but it's like you say, yeah, it's not the sort of player that Arsenal can rely on in the long term. They've got to be looking to to bring someone in. I don't know who else they might be looking at. Whether they can, uh, whether they've got the money for someone like Darwin Nunez or something like that. I'm not sure who else they've been linked with, but um, mm. they're going to need to upgrade in that position if they want to be, you know if they are playing in the Champions League next season or if they want to be challenging for, for top four again or, or challenging for silverware, they definitely need to sign someone. And you would like to think that Enketia still has a role to play there now that he's demonstrated that he can be relied upon and even if he's uh, if he's just a foil to whoever they bring in that uh, he's, he's got a quality and they don't have to loan him out to a team in the Championship or whatever. Yeah, I was going to say Lacazette looks like the one who will be leaving um, instead of Enketia. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Lacazette did okay at points this season, I think, but he's just not not reliable in front of goal, is he at all? Yeah. No, I think the numbers again. It's not just purely stats based football, but the numbers do speak for themselves. You need to look yeah. back on your season and say, right, this guy's getting us X amount of goals. You know, fifteen, twenty, twenty five goals. We need that every year, and if you're not producing it, something needs to change. Yeah, 100%. absolutely. Uh, as for Leeds, though, they find themselves in the relegation zone, and weirdly enough, I feel like they've done it quietly. You know, you know when you say sort of, oh look, Brighton are challenging for the top eight. <laughs> they've gone about their business quietly. It's like Leeds have done the opposite, and, yeah. and they've gone down quietly. This wasn't quite what the owners had in mind, was it, when they sacked Bielsa? No, I mean it, it's easy to say with the benefit of hindsight, but you're wondering now whether that was the right decision sacking Bielsa because, all right, hiring Jesse March was not a guarantee of, of survival, and you know, it's difficult for a manager to come in when a club is in that position and take over and get everyone playing mm. brilliantly overnight and, and save them from relegation. The worrying thing from Leeds is that the performances have got a lot worse than they were under Bielsa, that the results have stayed about the same. In fact, they've, they've picked up a couple of a couple of wins here and there, haven't they? But the, but the performances have been they really bad. They had a bad. decent run of form, yeah. Yeah, I, I read, I can't remember the exact number, but they completed something like 44 um, passes in the opposition half yesterday, which is the lowest... Um, of a team in the Premier League this season, which is which is really really concerning. Uh, you know they were well beaten by City last week as well. I think they're going down, and I think you have to look at it as a bit of an avoidable relegation. You know after after how well they did last season, everyone looked at this season. You know the fans back at Ellen Road roaring them on. You thought this is Leeds will kick on. They might challenge for top six or something. That was what I was I was thinking. You know they'd, they'd be top half. They'd be They'd be knocking on the door of Europe and, and they can really kick on. And obviously they've had really bad injury problems. Patrick Bamford being out, um, Calvin Phillips being out for a long yeah. time has, has really affected them. But it's been a bit of a mess of a season really. And if they go down, I think it'll be it'll be a shame for them. I, I, you know, I, I don't think anyone else will really care too much about it. But I've quite enjoyed having Leeds back in the Premier League and I will be sad to see them go if they go down. But it's just been a bit of a mess of a season really. Well, I don't feel too, too bad about that prediction because I was talking to Podrick the other day and he told me that his early season predictions were Everton to finish top four. Really? <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I had I had Villa to finish top six in my preseason predictions, which uh, looks a bit silly oh, now, doesn't it? But that's not too far off, and with a managerial change, right? I just think, yeah. <laughs> oh, Podrick's gonna have to eat some humble pie. Talking about Everton, they were actually winners though. They put together back to back victories. Um, mm after beating Chelsea with a 2-1 victory at Leicester. Mayalenko scored a brilliant goal here. 
a brilliant, yep. brilliant volley. Super. Um, how do you rate his impact to Everton? I thought they'd be struggling when they sold Luca Dino because he was one of their better players. But it looks like Mylenka, I think it was 13 and a half million. That's actually been a pretty decent signing in January. Yeah, yeah, he's done very well. He's only young as well, isn't he? And, you know, everything that he's done has, has, has gone on amid the backdrop of what's going on in, in his homeland in Ukraine, which is, mm. you know, incredible mental fortitude to, to, to keep performing. You know, the same with the same with Zinchenko at City. For, for them to, to keep playing and, and play so well is is, is really, really impressive and, and a great credit to them for that. And like you say, it was a great goal. And I also thought that they would, they would struggle when, when they sold Luca Dean, which is... Funny, really, because he's not had much of an impact at Villa so far, has he? Which yeah, is it's uh, odd. Yeah, it's uh, again that was a bit of a almost an avoidable transfer. It was kind of Rafa Benitez's la- his last two fingers to Everton, wasn't it? Like force this guy out, you know, one of the the best <laughs> left backs in in the league, arguably, and mm. uh, and and not replace him. But they look like they've got a, a very uh, able replacement in, in Michael Lenko, and uh, hopefully he can uh, he can keep improving because he, he seems to be getting better every week. And did you expect Leicester's season to capitulate this much? Uh, we always say, oh, alongside a European run, it's difficult. I remember Burnley a few years ago almost got mm. relegated the season they were in Europe. It is difficult to juggle. But David Moyes, like you mentioned, has been talking about it, saying that it's tough to find the balance, but they've still managed the top six charge. I feel like Leicester can't use this as the sole excuse as to why they've been so poor in the league. Um, but do you expect them to challenge for the top six again, maybe next season than when they don't have Europe to focus on? I think it might be time to uh, not only get the fraudometer out again, but uh, <laughs> I think it I think it might be time for a new manager at Leicester, actually. I think I think Rodgers has, has, has run out of ideas, really, and I think he's, he's just not really motivating this team anymore. I think they've been really, really poor, and I don't think the European thing has a factor to play at all really because they played in Europe last season and, and, and coped with it perfectly well. You know, they've got a pretty big squad. They've got some really good players. I just think Rodgers is, you know, is they can't fucking, they, they can't defend a corner to save lives. Like that is, <laughs> <laughs> that is football like 101, isn't it? Like you've got to defend set yeah. pieces. You've got to be able to do it. And they can see from pretty much every single one of them. And Rodgers is kind of saying in, in his post-match, like we're trying our best to kind of work out a way to, to defend corners and we just can't do it. It's like, just get your head on the ball, lads. Like, it, it shouldn't be that difficult, but the, the record from it is really, really poor. And yeah, I, I just think the the summer signings that they made haven't really worked out. You know, Pats and Daka scored yesterday, didn't he? But he's not really hit the ground running mm. in the way that they hoped he would. You've got players like Jose Perez there who aren't really performing very well. Jamie Vardy's at the end of his, his career, isn't he now? He's, he's not having the same impact that he was previously. And... You're getting good like performances, you know, Tielemans, yeah, Tielemans is off, yeah. isn't he? Madison, yeah. there's always been a bit of a question mark about him. I think Leicester fans have been really disappointed with Tielemans this season because I just don't, don't think he looks like he really wants to be there anymore. I think Kasper Schmeichel's had a quite a poor season, quietly, and he's been really important for Leicester in the past. So, yeah, I think it's time to freshen things up at Leicester and, and, and maybe maybe give Rodgers the old heave-ho and get someone else in. Yeah. I'm trying to think who else they would get in at this point because you have quite a talented pool of players. The problem is you don't want to fire Rodgers and yeah. the top players to think, oh, if he's out, then maybe we're on the way down. And then you get a real exodus of players. I reckon someone that like, sort of- and, and I'm showing my football hipster credentials a little bit here, but I reckon someone like Christophe Gaultier would be an amazing appointment for them. Was he not the former Saint-Étienne manager? Uh, he was, wasn't he? His, his niece now. He won the league with... Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Last season. Oh, yeah. Wow. With uh, with Lille. Niche. A, ni- a niche uh, 
I need your <laughs> odd there. Um, yeah. We're talking about new manager odds. We'll come to that in a little bit as well as replacing one of the one of the newly relegated teams. But we'll talk about the relegation battle. Uh, Leeds are in it, as you mentioned, on 34 points, but they're level with Burnley, who lost at home to Aston Villa. Were Burnley feeling a little too good about themselves after a recent good run of form? A little bit complacent? Possibly. I, d- I don't know if it's complacency so much as like, you know, they're never going to keep that run of form up forever, are they? The, the new manager bounce doesn't <laughs> doesn't last that long. You know, they are they are quite a poor team and it was inevitable that it was going to come to an end at some point. Um, I was quite surprised that it came to an end against Aston Villa, who haven't been in, in good form at all. Um, but I think Danny Ings' return has, has inspired them a little bit. I think, you know, Emi Brandia scored here and it's good to see him getting, getting more of a chance because he's not started many games this season and... It's uh, it's good to see Villa hitting a bit of form for me personally because they've got Liverpool on Tuesday night and I could uh, I would quite like them to uh, to get another good result there if they can. So uh, yeah, I think it's just with Burnley, it's just they're just they're fighting for survival. This wasn't a good result, but they they are in a good position now where they can they can still mm. stay up, but they might be relying on other teams around them to, to not get the shit together. And <laughs> the commentator on match of day when when Corne scored. Uh, to make it to make it three one in, in stoppage time or whatever was like well you never know if it goes down to goal difference that that goal might be vital and it's like yeah true enough really yeah it could it could come down to something as simple as, as simple as that and Burnley will just be hoping that they've just got the edge on on probably Leeds the highlights that I was watching were saying Corne blasted it in I thought he missed <laughs> God his open goal my heart was in my mouth I was like there's no yeah. need there's no need to twat it into an open net from like six <laughs> yards out. <laughs> Although having said that, that, that if it does come a- back down to the goal difference, it's going to be it's going to take a, a remarkable swing because Burnley are currently on minus seventeen and Leeds are on minus thirty five. So, Jeez. I, don't, I don't know how the hell that's going to happen in, in three games to concede yeah. that many. Yeah. To be honest with you, they've, they've been known for shifting a few goals this season. <laughs> uh, credit to Aston Villa, though. There was some really really good football, and I was very impressed. Wanted to see how impressed you were with Emi Buendia. Yeah. Yeah, great. I thought he was a great signing. He was one of the reasons that I thought they'd finished top six this season. And, you know, even despite selling Grealish last summer, it looked to me like they'd they've reinvested that money really well. And I think they brought him in before Grealish even left, actually, didn't they? So mm, he looked like a really good signing. He, he was brilliant in the championship last season. For whatever reason, it's not quite gone to plan so far. Like I said, he's not started that many games for them. Um, and maybe this will um, will remind Gerard what a good player he is and he can finish the season strongly and really kick on next season because I think he is a fabulous player. And uh, I think he can be he can be a really good player for Villa. Yeah, it was interesting, Gerard speaking about wanting to keep Coutinho. I think if you get a fully fit and firing Emi Buendia uh, with Jacob Ramsey as well, obviously Leon Bailey's had his injury worries in his first season. Is there really a need for Coutinho to come back in? For the for the amount of money that they would have to pay him, I don't really see that working for Villa. I don't really see it. He's a great player when he's on it, and but he blows very hot and cold, and he always has done. Even during his peak at Liverpool, he was a little bit inconsistent, I thought. And yeah, I just think it'd be a bit of a waste of money that they could they could reinvest in in other areas of the squad a bit better. I, I saw. I think it was part of the loan deal was thirty three million was the option to buy. I might be misquoting that. Right. Million. I mean that 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 alone think... is a lot of money, and then and then wages on hundred grand a week plus, wouldn't it? You would, you would imagine so. Yeah, I, yeah. Can't, I mean, he's, I can't he's done all right that. for Villa, hasn't he? But I don't think he's done amazingly well. Like, you know, he's he's he started this game on the bench, so it's it, it can't be he can't have done that well, really. Yeah, exactly. There were flashes from him, but I don't think. Mm. Uh, 
Yeah, I'm not sure it's worth that 33 million to spend it. Like you said, they could invest it elsewhere. Uh, yeah. Next up to Stamford Bridge, where Chelsea threw away a two-goal lead against Wolves. Um, I watched this one, actually. I thought Wolves were incredibly wasteful on the counter-attack for most of the game. There were some <laughs> points in the first half where they were two-on-two, three-on-two, and really, really wasteful. I think Ait Nouri had a fantastic chance as well. Uh, but they made good of it late on. Obviously, a 97th minute equaliser from Conor Cody, <laughs> proving they are not on the beach. Um, do these defensive issues for Chelsea stem from a lack of certainty over the future of most of their defensive players? Yeah, possibly. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a hard one to put your finger on. Obviously, Rudiger's leaving in the summer. We know that, don't we? Um, Aspilicueta is is probably going to be off as well, and and as. Has been quite poor in recent weeks, too. you know, making some mistakes. Christensen, yeah. yeah, they've still got Thiago Silva there, who's who's still performing quite well, and 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 Mendy, the goalkeeper, is still performing quite well. But yeah, yeah I don't, I, I think uh, I think Tuchel is having difficulty putting a finger on what's going wrong himself, isn't he? And he sort of said after the game that this this felt like a defeat, and obviously they've got the new owner Todd Bowley watching on from the stands, which isn't a, an ideal result with with that being the case, but. I think we talked about it last week. I don't. I don't see Tuchel's job being under threat any time. I think if he wants to stay at Chelsea, he will. He'll be allowed to, and he'll, he'll be given a, another shot at it next season. And it's going to be interesting to see what kind of players they are able to bring in because I don't think there's going to be a great deal of money for them to spend, from what I've heard. Um, even despite the, the new owners, so yeah, they're they're in a bit of disarray at the moment. Chelsea. It's a little bit concerning for them. Their their top fourth places kind of under threat a little bit at the moment, isn't it? And uh, if they don't book their ideas up in the, in the the final games, then it would be a bit of a travesty if they ended up not getting Champions League football next season. But it's um, it's possible, you know. Spurs only five points behind them with three games to go. Um, I'm not sure who Chelsea have got left. Can you remember their fixtures? Uh, I will quickly check for you. Chelsea are facing Leeds away from home, which is um, well tough. In, yeah, it could be in, tough. In, that in their, yeah, yeah, could be, could be. Uh, they've got Leicester City at home before hosting Watford on the final day. So, okay. with the greatest respect, I wouldn't imagine yeah. anything too tough from those teams. But you never know. Yeah, I mean, looking ahead this to the uh, an anti-Chelsea podcast. <laughs> no, just, no, I th- I th- just mentioning. I think I think they'll be okay too. Yeah, but then mm. you know, looking ahead to the the FA Cup final, that they've got to get themselves up for that next week, haven't they? As well, and uh, they, yeah, they- that. They ran Liverpool bloody close in the in the Carabao Cup final earlier in this year, and probably should have won that game. Actually, I thought on the on the balance of play, the chances they created, I think they they created the better chances and lost on penalties because of Kepa's awful penalty. So, but I've got a feeling it could be a different game this time around. Liverpool seems to be very say, fired they, up, and they don't particularly look like a team ready to take on Liverpool, do they? Not really. Liverpool no, we're going to make a few changes. No, I mean it's a cup final, and you know form kind of goes out the window a little bit when a cup final you know everyone raises the game but Chelsea lost the the cup final to Leicester last season which was a disappointment for them and uh, it would be very disappointing to lose two finals in a row well well, three finals in a row if you you count the the Carabao Cup Um, I know it it, it is three they lost to uh, Mikel Arteta's Arsenal in 2020 oh that's true yeah so it's three FA Cup finals plus it will be the first time in FA Cup history that a team has lost three in a row wow I mean your money would be on Liverpool at the moment wouldn't it but We'll see. Yeah, that, that's the thing. Your money would be on Liverpool. Uh, it, I, what I found most interesting about the Chelsea Wolves game is that the one bright star from the game was Romelu Lukaku. The man who's getting <laughs> yeah. absolute pelters in the press turns around and says, right, I've done my job bagging two goals. What can you do for me defensively? And yeah. um, the answer was, well, 
Not much. Did, you, at the end of did it. you see his face when that uh, equaliser went in on the bench? Yeah, I did. That was he just quite looked funny. disgusted, that... didn't he? Yeah, like, oh, God's <laughs> quite sake. Quite me- memeable content there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but across West London and Brentford won 3 0 against Southampton. Mm. It was a fantastic victory. A quick fire double within two first half minutes as well, helping them on their way. Uh, there's calls for Thomas Frank to be in the running, running for manager of the year. Is that a bandwagon that you find yourself seated on, Dan? He's definitely in the conversation, 100% about that. I don't know. I don't know really who who else would get it at the moment because, all right, if City win the league, would you give it to Guardiola? I don't think so, really. Would you? I mean, obviously he's Maybe. done a, he's done a he's done a very good job, but it's it, it's not really manager of the year. It seems worthy to be job meeting that he's done. expectation, whereas yeah. Frank, I think, is one of the few who's over-exceeded expectations. I mean, based on yeah. where Brighton finish, there's an argument for Potter as well, if they can get any higher than, than ninth, I think. But yeah, yeah certainly, if, if Brentford squeeze into the top half, in terms of over-exceeding um, uh, what's expected of you, I can't see why Thomas Frank's not well, even, at all. Yeah, even staying up as comfortably as they have done is, is a great achievement, especially considering that they came up via the playoffs last season. The two teams that came up automatically were Norwich and Watford, who looked True. the best equipped of the three, and they've been dreadful and Brentford have been you know really really comfortable all season really there's never been any point where I thought they might go down so yeah I, I don't see who else really really get I mean if Klopp if Liverpool win the league you, you would probably give it to Klopp wouldn't you especially if they go on to win all four trophies like mm. <laughs> undoubtedly he's the manager of the year he's the manager of the fucking century if if, yeah. if that happens um, I suppose the only other one you might say and it would be a bit of a travesty if he got it would be Arteta like he's done he's done pretty well to get Arsenal back into the top four if he does it but it's not an outstanding achievement to finish fourth, is it really? So, yeah, I, th- I think Tommy Frank might be walking into this one, actually. Yeah, fair play to him. You sound like you've just convinced yourself in that yeah. moment. You know what? Yeah. <laughs> I just, yeah, well just in, just in comparison to the other seasons that managers have enjoyed, yeah. I don't really see who else has exceeded expectations that much. That is it. Well, I'm looking at the, um, at the table now. Potentially, uh, Wolves finishing eighth is about where they should be, I think, given mm. their recent seasons as well. Um, one manager who's not having a good time is Ralph Hasenhutl, and uh, the Southampton <laughs> fans, I think, turning on him is the, is the phrase to use here. Looks like they weren't too happy. Um, realistically, though, speaking, what is to be expected from this squad in terms of their league position? They're 15th now with 40 points. Is that all on Hasenhutl? Should he be doing better? Are the players good enough? I mean, the players aren't good enough to do anything exceptional. The players aren't good enough to finish in the top six or even the top half, really. You would say, you know, I think I feel like I say this every week about Southampton, but they're the most mid-table team in the Premier League, aren't they, really? They're, they're just, they're never going to really, you know, barring some incredible financial takeover or hiring an exceptionally good manager, they're never really going to trouble the top half of the table in any serious way. But they should be better than fifteenth as well, I think. And, and forty points is the the magic relegation survival mark for a lot of clubs. And fair enough. But I think the squad that Southampton have got should be doing better. You know, or they lost uh, they lost Danny Ings last summer, but you know they spent pretty big money on bringing on bringing in Adam Armstrong, who's done okay, but not brilliantly well. You know, they've got players like James Ward-Prowse. Uh, you know, Salis, who's a good player. You know, Nathan Redmond, Brozier, uh, Romeu, Che Adams, like. There's some good players there, like that. That that should be better than fifteenth, I I would say. And I do mm. wonder a little bit, like Brendan Rodgers, whether Haas and Hootle has kind of taken Southampton as far as he can now, and whether they should maybe, 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 maybe a manager swap between Southampton and Leicester would, would freshen things up a little bit. Maybe that's that's the way to go in the summer. I don't know, but yeah, 
I can understand why Southampton fans would be frustrated because there has to be more to life than just finishing 15th. <laughs> there must, there must that, be, wasn't there? Like, that was a much bigger question than football in general. Like, yeah. There was more than just finishing 15th. <laughs> You're probably right. Funnily yeah. enough, if both of those managers weren't at their clubs, I could see them suiting each other. I could yeah. see Rogers at Southampton and Hosenhut at Leicester. Yeah. You bang on the money with all your managerial predictions. Uh, talking about managers, <laughs> we'll move over to Crystal Palace against Watford. Uh, there were some suggestions that Roy Hodgson was was a bit too happy to see his former side pick up three points. Not quite sure I believe that, but Watford do officially get re- relegated with a bit of a whimper. Um, that oh, The comedy of that penalty. <laughs> claiming that he was fouled and putting his arms up and giving up. Oh, gee, that's something. I up. thought that was very harsh, actually. I thought he was pushed I, and I, I thought... Bit- his arm was in an unnatural un- 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 position, but he was pushed in the back. So, yeah. But but the thing is, making the most of it as well by throwing your arms up, I just... Yeah. It's unfortunate, but it is, it is a little bit funny. I just, yeah. I, I felt a bit bad for them at the time, and I just thought this is this was coming. You know, they can't point to that moment to say that's why they're relegated and they've been too bad for too long. Uh, yeah. The latest uh, favourite for the Watford job is the current QPR and Republic of Ireland assistant manager, John Eustace, who, who played at Watford. He has two years with Kidderminster Harriers on his CV as a head coach, um, which mm. I don't think like, is overly he'll have, qualified. He'll have four months on his CV as Watford manager next season, won't he? Before he yeah, gets that's sacked most in. likely. Oh. Um, in December or would, something, yeah. <laughs> would Sean Dyche be a better option? Absolutely, bloody would, yeah. I think Sean Dyche, as Watford manager in the Championship, would do an outstanding job. Um, with the players that they've got, they've got some quality players there. It'll be interesting to see how many of them are still there next season. You'd, you'd think someone like Ismail Assar won't be sticking around in the Championship. Mm. Emmanuel Dennis won't be sticking around in the Championship. Um, but apart from that, they just need a rocket up their arses, don't they, Watford really is. As a club and as, as a squad... You know, Ben Foster was saying after the game that there's just too many players who are who are happy to put the effort in for sort of 60, 70 minutes, but but won't go the the full ninety minutes, and and that is just unacceptable for a club that wants to play Premier League football. You you just not it's just not going to work, and I don't even think it really comes down to the managerial stuff sometimes with them. I think it is just a, a case of the personnel that they've got, whether they're attracting the wrong type of player or or what. But they've they've never looked like they were worthy of being in the Premier League this season, really, apart from when they put four past United in uh, January or whenever that was, February. But yeah, I, I just, you know, I, th- I think Rogers was the wrong appointment. I think Ranieri was the wrong appointment. I think someone like Sean Dyche, who will, who brings a bit of a sort of kick-ass attitude, would be what Watford need. And there's every chance that, you know, we, we kick off the uh, 2023-24 season and they're here again. And hopefully, for their sake, that they've learned some lessons from from this, this you know, a bit like Norwich, like, you know, you can't. You've got to find a way to break this cycle somehow, and uh, and and putting your trust in a manager like Sean Dyche, who has done a great job at Burnley, and uh, you know stayed there for for a number of years, and and really built the club around up around him, would be, I think, a great appointment for Watford. But they'll probably hire John Eustace, and uh, like I said, he'll probably be gone in in four four to five months. <laughs> this brings me on to my last sort of topic of the podcast. And those we're done with the, the ten games now. Because I found it very, very interesting how Luis Diaz fitted into the squad and how you mentioned there, few players don't really seem like they're up for it at Watford. Is it the club's fault for not recruiting the right person behind the player in terms of mentality and effort? Or is there just certain players that are attracted to a team's culture or a club's style of play 
that really leaves him in this position. Because I refuse to believe that Watford have gone out and signed a 25-man squad all with the same lazy-ass mentality. <laughs> that can't be right. Sure, there's got to be a few of them that are up for it. Yeah, I mean, probably, yeah. I think with, with like Liverpool, and I know City are, are like this as well, that they are very keen on doing kind of background checks on players' personalities and you know speaking to people mm. who've worked with them in the past and, and getting an idea of how those players tick and what motivates them and, and you know, anyone who's not willing to put a shift in for Liverpool or City is just not going to play and not going to be signed. But those clubs are obviously, obviously uh, shopping in a very different market to, to the, to the, the market that Watford are shopping in and they're having to, to try and unearth hidden gems and, and, you know, half of the players that, that are in Watford's team, I'd never heard of them before they joined Watford, to be perfectly honest. And I would like to think I have a pretty good knowledge of football, but, you know, I, I'd, I'd never, I, I didn't didn't know who any of these players were. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recognise Edo Kayembe if I, if I fell over him in the street, you know what I mean? But then he's, play, he's playing in midfield for a Premier League team and it's no, no disrespect to him or like, I'm not singling him out personally because I think there's a few players like that where they're just not, they're just not good enough and they, and they shouldn't have been signed in the first place, really. So, I think it's it's a balancing act with all these all these things, and and you're not going to sign a a perfect player if you're Watford and and you you're working with the budget that they've got, but um, you have to be paying a bit more attention to this kind of stuff as as a scout, I would say. I think that as well. There's some, and I, I think he was the same player that I was looking at and thinking, where on earth have they managed to find him? And yeah. again, it's 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 nothing to do with that player per se. They could be a, a half-decent player and it's probably making us look a bit sort of uh, amateurish in, a, in our background research for this podcast. But there does come a point where you think if it's a player like that that no one else has heard of or that not many clubs are after, you have to question whether they're going to be good enough. Because I, I bet there's a lot. There's more than 100 um, players who are signed for cheap and yeah, like you said, you're trying to unearth a gem and it doesn't quite work out. But they seem to be doing too much of it. Watford have too. Yeah. It's all right trying to embed sort of one, uh, yeah, let's say unearthed gem into the squad. But having four or five of them is just... I mean, you said it earlier with that Sorensen in midfield for Norwich. Who is that? <laughs> yeah. Who, well, the, the only time this that? has ever... The only time this has ever really worked uh, that I can think of is Leicester when they signed like Kante with Mahrez and, and, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, like, uh, and I think Newcastle had a, a decent track record of, about 10 years ago, didn't they? Of, of unearthing like a few gems from the French league and stuff like that. But mm. yeah, I, I just think it's difficult. It's difficult. Of course, it's difficult signing players when, you, when you've not got, you know, millions and millions to spend or billions in some clubs' cases. But yeah. Um, you look at that Watford squad and you just think, who are, who are some of these people? I think the only way that that really, really works is if you're buying players to fit a specific system and a specific style of play and Watford and Norwich just do not have it. Because look at what Brentford have done. I, I would say the same in it. And again, it you know, sort of calling out my own lack of knowledge here. Um, <laughs> there are one or two in the Brentford squad that I think, well, I don't really know much about them pre-Brentford. Right, there's one or two yeah. of them that have signed that 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 they've signed in the Championship. Even we're not even talking about you know last summer where they made it to the Premier League, but they've come in with an idea of how these players are going to fit into the system that Thomas Frank and the whole and the whole club is cultivating, and it's worked out. Mm. And they've got some really really good players in there. 
Uh, yeah, and, and it's been it's been a work in progress. It's been a project for Brandon uh, for Brentford, hasn't mm. it? It's been you know Thomas Frank has been there for a while. He's been working with these players. They've been building towards the Premier League, and and they're a, they're a very solid unit. You know, we've, we've said before that I think it's going to be difficult for Brendan. Uh, I keep saying Brendan. I think Brendan Rodgers are on my, on my mind. It's going to be difficult <laughs> for for Brentford next season to to replicate this and yeah. to kick on. We've seen how many teams struggle with that second season syndrome and all that kind of thing. But but so far, you'd have to say they've done a remarkable job. Whereas you look at Watford, they've they've not got any um, consistency in the club. You know, they're the, the sacking managers and, and hiring new managers all the time. A manager comes in with a totally different idea of how he wants to play football and, and all that kind of stuff. And exactly. they're signing loads of randomers in the January transfer window and expecting them to, set, to save the club from relegation. It's just obviously not going to work unless unless you get really, really lucky and you, and you, you sign the next N'Golo Kante or the next Riyad Mahrez. But even then, to bring someone in mid-season, it's very, very difficult. Like, And this is just... It's pretty basic stuff. It's pretty basic understanding of how football clubs should work and function. And the people in charge at Watford don't know what they're doing in, in that regard, I don't think. Yeah, exactly. I, I think Brentford are the perfect example. And I look at players like Janelt, mm. £600,000 from Bochum two years ago. Yeah. I mean, talk about unearthing someone from a low league German team. You know, yeah, the other, I, he's been brilliant. Ethan Pinnock, the son from Barnsley in 2019. <laughs> Yeah, Brian you know, Burmo, like he's another one, like he's yeah. been really good this season. I'd, I've never heard of him before the season started, really, to be honest. Yeah. And, yeah. I just think, yeah, maybe maybe there does need to be a complete reassessment when these teams go down. But we always say that they end up smashing the championship and come straight back up. Yeah, yeah, which is probably going to happen again. So, yeah. yeah. Always seems to be the case. Let's have the same conversation Fulham- again in two years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see what Fulham and Bournemouth can do. Yeah. Um, and very quickly, talking about the championship and the, and the playoffs, obviously, which had come later in the week, I saw the most amazing stat that Fulham Fulham have been promoted with a squad that's worth about 150 million or something, which yeah. is unbelievable for second second division football. And Luton, Luton are in the playoffs with a squad that cost 1.5 million. Yeah, that's not bad, is it? Nathan Jones has that done a really, is... really good job with them, yeah. Unbelievable! One and a half million for a squad that's you know could be getting into the Premier League. I'd love to see Kenilworth Road in the Premier League. Ah, <laughs> oh, be brilliant! Ah, oh, be see, fantastic! I, I'm not allowed to to like Luton because they relegated Man City in 1983, which was before I was even born. But like, it's sort of like part of the membership of being a City fan. It's like you have to hate Luton Town forever. So I'm yeah. sorry, Luton fans, but yeah, I'll, I'll be rooting for Nottingham Forest to come up out of the playoffs. I would say. I, 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 I was just about to say. I think the the child in me likes the nostalgia of Forest being in the Premier League. So. Yeah, the one of those clubs that everyone uh, everyone thinks of, like the you know the Premier League sticker annuals and stuff like that, don't they? And think, oh, I remember having Nottingham yeah, Forest exactly. stickers and Sheffield Wednesday stickers and QPR and all that. So they're think, they're I often Roy, cited as people's like dream Roy Premier League. Haircut. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'd like to see I'd well. like to see Forest for the same reason that I, that I wanted to see Leeds back. You know, they're a big club with a with a great history and a great fan base, and yeah. they've been they've been out of the top flight for too long now, and it would be good to see them back, but. You know, that's no disrespect to anyone else apart from Luton, mm. who are in the uh, who are in the playoffs. It'd be, it'd be nice to see them all, but it's nice to see a new team every now and again as well, isn't it? So for that reason, it would be, probably would be nice to see Luton in the in the top flight. Exactly. Of course, you guys can get in touch as well. Is that is all we have time for today? Make sure you uh, you get us a tw- get at us on Twitter at Matt underscore Frolic at One Football at Fussball Dan. 
if you want to have a rant at Dan's um, <laughs> selection of really not liking Luton Town. But there you go. <laughs> uh, you can also drop us an email with all of your feedback about the podcast and any other questions you may have as well. The address is podcast at onefootball.com. Uh, yeah, so that's all we have time for this week. Thank you, Dan, so much for joining me as always. I hope you've all enjoyed listening and we'll be back again next week. So see you then. <laughs>